On a scale of one to 10, how satisfied are you? Specifically, on a scale of one to 10, how satisfied are you with your job? One to 10, how satisfied are you with your um, income? How satisfied are you with your marriage? Married people, don't even blink. Oh, and uh, how satisfied are you with your singleness? Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're single. How satisfied are you in that? How satisfied are you with your home that you live in? How satisfied are you with the car that you drive? How satisfied are you with your pastor? Don't even blink on that one either. But how satisfied are you really just with the overall circumstances of your life right now? That really begs a lot of other questions. How satisfied should I be? Or how satisfied could I be? What does that even mean these days to be satisfied? It seems like everywhere we look, this idea of being satisfied or satisfaction is kind of coming at us at every different direction, right? Just turn on, the, turn on the news, turn on a commercial, and constantly, if you buy this car, you'll be satisfied. If you wear this brand of clothes, if you lose this amount of weight, if you go on this cruise, if you had this, if you lived there, if you took this trip, if you climbed that mountain, if you did this, if you did that, then what is the reward for that thing that they're selling to us, the reward is? is satisfaction. You know, it's, it's, it's the answer. It's the thing that will bring fulfillment and joy in our life. I think that's what we're really looking for, isn't it? I think we're looking for joy. I think we're looking for something that, that really transcends our circumstances in life. You see, happiness, even the word happiness means happenings. It comes from the word happenings, which means it's kind of like a roller coaster. You know, depending on how your day goes is depending if you're happy or not. But what I want to talk to you about today is, is it possible to be satisfied? Is it possible to have a joy in your life that actually would transcend the circumstances of your life? Is it possible to have a joy that if the economy's going good, you still have it? And if the economy's going bad, you still have it? And the family's going great, you still have it? And if it's not going so great, you still have it? I want to look today at two men in the Bible that... Um, many would say in the Bible itself, with two of the wisest men that ever lived. Isn't it pretty cool? Like the Bible, we get to see into the lives the unfiltered, unedited musings of some of the most incredible people that ever lived. You should read your Bible, even if you're not a Christian. Maybe you're here and you're just searching or seeking after. I promise the Bible's such an interesting thing because you are getting to see what great people have seen. And the first person that I want to look at, it was actually a king. His name was King Solomon. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to be like king for a day or a queen for a day? Come on, somebody. Maybe president for the day. You know, maybe on it, maybe whenever we had election night. Could you did you did you go there in your mind like I did? Like what would it be to wake up the next day and be like, dun, 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 dun. I'm the president of the United States, somebody, you know? Where's my omelet? Take me to Chipotle, you know, take me somewhere. Could you imagine what would it be like to wake up tomorrow morning and you are the president, you're El Presidente in the house. Man, you could have anything and do it. You're one of the most powerful people on planet Earth. What would it be like to be that person? It'd be pretty fulfilling, wouldn't it? Or shouldn't it be? It'd be kind of like the answer to all of our hopes and dreams, wouldn't it? Or should it, is it really? Could it actually be that? Well, in the Bible, we actually get to see a king 
one of the wisest and one of the wealthiest human beings that ever walked the face of the earth. And we get to see how they search for joy. And it's so funny because it's, this, is, this is thousands of years ago. This is the 5th century B.C. And we're still dealing with the exact same things today. It's pretty crazy. So I want to go there in, in, in the Bible, in your scripture. I wanna, we're going to save that first scripture for, in, for a little bit. But I want to get right into what Solomon began to look like at how to find joy in life. How do we find satisfaction? Maybe you kind of find yourself in one of these ways that Solomon, the king, El Presidente, one of the wisest people that ever lived, you're gonna find, you may find yourself in the way that he pursued it. Here's the first way that he tried to pursue joy. Here's the first thing. I must know it all. That's your first note there. I must know it all. This is the way that he first tries to find meaning, tries to find the purpose of life, tries to find joy, whatever you call it. This is the first way that he seeks for it. And you see it right there in your notes. I just want to read it straight from the Bible. It says, I set out to learn how much, how many things? Everything from wisdom and madness and folly. But I learned firsthand that uh, pursuing all this is like chasing after the wind. I tried to work that whenever my parents wanted me to go to college. I was like, no, the wisest guy I ever lived said it's chasing after the wind. They're like, you're going to college anyway. Um, but he said, the greater my wisdom, the greater my grief. To increase knowledge only increases heart sorrow. He says, the first way I tried to find meaning is to knowledge and wisdom. If I could just get a little bit more learning another degree, if I could just get a little smarter, if I, could, if I could graduate with this, then everything in my life would make sense. If I could learn that, if I could achieve that level of knowledge, if I could have those initials before or after my name, then everything will work out in my life. But, but he searches after this, one of the wisest people that ever lived, and he said, you know what, at the end of the day, it wasn't what I thought it was. So he goes on, and we begin to see the next pursuit of joy in his life. And here's the first one was, I want to know it all. Here's the second one that he started experiencing. He said, I, here's my recipe. I want to have, I want to experience it at all. That's what I want to experience it all. I want to just everything there is to experience. I want to do it. That's what I want to do. Is you see it right there in, in the scripture, Ephesians, Ecclesiastes chapter two, verse one. He said, I said to myself, come on now, let's try pleasure. He was a, sound like a country boy with that one, right? Come on, let's try pleasure. That's got to be a country song somewhere. He said, let's look for the good things in life. Uh, he said, but I found that this too was meaningless. Wait a second, Solomon. That's like the, that's where it's supposed to be, like experiencing it. Like having those experiences is incredible. He said, verse 2, so I said, laughter is silly. And what does it do, what does it do to seek pleasure? And then verse 3, I love how real the Bible is. It says, after much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. <laughs> How much wine does it take to fill the void in the human heart? How much wine does it take? How much pleasure does it take? So we're really, we're really seeing in his life, he's, he's trying to fill the void in his heart with an experience. Man, if I could go there, if I could, if I could just climb that mountaintop, if I could stand on the summit of Everest, my life will just make sense. If I could visit that place, if I could have that experience, then everything in my life is going to make sense. But he said, you know what? It just really doesn't, it's not working for me. I, I, I've tried it. I've tried to have this experience, but it's not working for me. So, so he goes in another direction. He says, here's, here's the third idea. He said, first of all, I, I want to know it all. It didn't work. I want to experience it all. It doesn't work. 
This third idea, he said, I must have it all. That's it. Yeah, I must have it all. I want to have, like, everything. Like, that's what I want to have. Like, what's going to make me happy? Let me just decide. Uh, I'll take one of everything. That's going to make me happy. It just this is amazing to me. Verse 4 says, I also tried to find meaning, meaning by building huge homes, plural, for myself. One huge home is awesome, right? Multiple huge homes are incredible. It would be awesome, man. Huge homes for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards. I made gardens and parks, filling them with all kinds of fruit trees. I built reservoirs to collect the water and to irrigate my many flourishing groves. I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I owned huge, large herds and flocks, more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold. I mean, just think about this guy. He's got these huge houses, these gardens, these reservoirs of water, this incredible picturesque mountain homes and beach homes and just kind of everything that he wanted. He has all these people working for him. He has not just that, he's just got gold just stacked up all over the place. You know, treasure. He said treasure of many kings and provinces. He says, I hired wonderful singers. You know, some people, they like go to concerts. Like he bought the concert. He's like, you're singing for me at this place. You know, what an incredible thing. Both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. He had all the pleasure that he wanted. The beautiful women. He said, I had everything a man could desire. Think about that. The wisest, richest man that ever lived. The one who truly had no end to his ability to have self-gratification. If he wanted it, he bought it. If he liked the house, he bought the whole neighborhood. If he liked a piece of clothing in the store, he's like, uh, I'll take the whole store. Yeah, like one of everything. He bought it. He had it. He owned it. He slept with it. He everything that a man's heart could desire. He said, man, that's exactly what I had. So Solomon, tell us what it was like. Like I can just see him like on E! Entertainment television, you know? The mighty Solomon, king, El Presidente, the one with everything, you know, the, the nicest cars, the biggest planes, the, you know, the, the, the homes that we all just ooh and awe over. Tell us what it's like, Solomon. Could you just let us know what it would feel like to be you for a moment, to have everything your heart could want? He says, here's what he says in verse 11. He would take the mic and he said, as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was also meaningless. Like chasing after the wind, there was really nothing worthwhile anywhere. Man, that doesn't make much sense to me. Because I think, man, if I could have that, if I could go there, if I could learn that, man, then my life would absolutely be complete. But here in the Bible, we get the picture of someone who went there, who did that, who experienced it. And, and it's right in the middle of your Bible. As a matter of fact, if you just kind of open your Bible in the middle of it, you'll probably turn near Ecclesiastes. It's as, it's as if God in the middle of his word is saying to us, guys, don't forget in the middle of life that all of these things that we try to fill the void in our heart, it's never going to satisfy. It's never going to be the thing that if you go there, it's never, you're never going to walk away feeling like you've got the great meaning of life. If you buy that, you're going to want to buy something else because it's never going to satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy the void that's in our heart. We see this all throughout um, just, just, just 
of looking around in, in, on the news and in just recent years, Bill Gates, everyone has probably heard of Bill Gates before, right? I saw an interview of him not too long ago. This was before he was starting his foundation, which the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. He just this past week was awarded a Presidential Medal of Freedom for all of the work that they have done to... Um, help cure cancer, to feed starving children around the world. Their foundation it was built to really just redistribute money to the poor and to help people in need, a great, great thing. But as he was starting that foundation, he was worth about $55 billion, with a B, dollars. So imagine that. He's worth $55 billion. And someone asked him in the interview, he, he said, hey, Bill, you got to tell me, why, you know, why don't you just keep all the money? Like, why do you want to give this away? Like, what's the deal? Why do you want to start this foundation to do all this? And Bill says this. He says, well, he says, and, and this is what he said in the interview. It blew my mind. He said, well, honestly, I just woke up one day and thought, is this all there is? Is this all there is? Like, there's got to be more than just me having all of this, like, like, maybe I'm supposed to give it away. Maybe I'm supposed to, make, like, there's something else beyond that. I, I saw an interview in 2008 of Tom Brady, uh, quarterback for, you know, the New England Patriots. At the time, he had three Super Bowl rings. He's married to a supermodel. He's one of the most famous, good-looking, incredible, like, athlete uh, person in America. I mean, just envied by all. And whenever Tom Brady was interviewed about his life, he said to uh, the person interviewing him on 60 Minutes, he says, I just don't understand why I have three Super Bowl rings on my hand, and I still feel that there has to be more than this. Man, there's something inside of our hearts that we can possess it all, but at the same time have nothing. But then with God, we can have nothing seemingly and then possess it all. Isn't it an incredible thing that, that there is something that's beyond this world? And that's really what I want to encourage someone today to let you know. No matter what you're going through, I want you to know that God wants to give you a joy that really can, that, that, that can span regard, the circumstance that you face today. Regardless of what you're going through, God wants to give you a joy that can go beyond that. Uh, and, and right there at the top of your notes, I want to I juxtapose Solomon with all of his cribs, all of his vehicles, all of his herds. Well, he didn't have vehicles at the time, but just go with me. He had all of these things. He had all these amazing things. And, and, and he said, it's all nothing. And then I want to take you to another wise man who wrote some books in the Bible. His name was the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul used to be wealthy. He was raised as a half-Roman, half-Jewish citizen. Many thinks that he was a man of means. He was, grew up in a household of means. He was also very, very educated. He was educated in the highest schools of Jewish learning. He was someone that was very famous in his day. But he gave, and he gave all of that away, essentially, because he had found something that was greater, and that was a relationship with Jesus Christ. It totally changed his life. And sitting in a jail cell, because he chose to preach for the gospel, it's crazy. He gave up his wealth to sit in a jail cell because he had this calling on his life. And from a jail cell, he writes these words. So, so just think about Solomon. I have all this stuff. I work for all this stuff, but it didn't bring me joy. And then watch this guy sitting in a prison cell. Watch what he says, Philippians 4.10. He says, I am glad in God. Now, you're in a prison cell, man. Get it together. He says, no, you don't understand. Far happier than you would ever guess. He says, I don't have a sense of needing anything personally. I've learned by now how to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy as with little as with much, and with much as with little. I have found, I love this, the recipe 
for being happy. Whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty, whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. I love that. That's where we get the scripture. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens, that strengthens me, you know. That's what we put like all, all of our football jersey and basketball, you know, jerseys. You know, it's like I can do all things through Christ. I can, I want to beat this team in the name of Jesus, you know. Like this team is going down in Jesus' name, right. I can do all things through Christ, you know. But really what Paul's saying in that verse is he's saying it's not just that I can win through Christ. He says, but you know what? I can lose and still be okay. I can, things can be going great in my life. That's awesome. But you know what? Things can be going not so great, and that's awesome too. Why? Because there's a constant joy that comes from only Jesus Christ in my life, and that has changed me from the inside out. I want, you, I want to read on another passage where he said it's on the back of your notes there. He says in 2 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, speaking of his life, he says, as unknown, but yet I'm well known. As dying, and behold, we live. As chastened, and not killed. As sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing all things. Paul says, I've lost my status, my health, my comfort, my emotional stability, my financial status. But you know what? I may look like I have nothing, but in Christ, I have everything that I need. I found the recipe. Isn't that awesome? I thought that, 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 I put that in the message paraphrase in your notes because I was really captivated by that thought because I was at my grandmother's house this week and, uh, and I got thinking about recipes. You know, anybody eat at grandma's house or, you know, you eat at your mom's house and there's like, nobody makes, you know, something like that. They, they got an incredible recipe. I went over to my, my grandmother's house and uh, she had all these turkey, all these things that were cooking and it just smelled great. It was awesome. So I kind of surveyed all the things that she had made and I said, Nanny, you're missing something. You don't have my cornbread. Like, where's the cornbread at? Because as a kid, cornbread at my grandmother's house was a lot like manna in the Old Testament temple. It was just always there. It was perpetually there, laid before the Lord, ready for her grandson to come, you know, and have, have, her, have his cornbread. And it was so, so important. So she knows, man, if I'm coming over, she's going to make sure there's some cornbread. And here's the way you eat it, everybody. I grew up in the country, so I'm going to help you out. You take it where it's real hot and it's real crispy, and then you take it and you take a cold glass of milk, and you, and you put the, the hot cornbread in a cold glass of milk, and then the Shekinah glory of God just takes over your life and changes you. <laughs> now, try it, try it. You know, come over to my house. You guys get invited over. I'm going to make some cornbread. Well, I can't make the cornbread. We'll get my grandmother to come make the cornbread. But it was so funny to watch her start making the cornbread for me. She loves it. She would, I mean, it was just, I mean, it was just like a whirlwind of just pots and pans and, you know, dish, you know just, just stuff going and all that. I said, Nanny, how do you make that, you know? How do you, you, know, how do you put that together? And she, I was like, give me the recipe, you know? She's like, recipe's up here, son. She's like, I, I know that. I was like, tell me, what's the recipe? She's like, well, it's a little bit of this and a pinch of that, you know, a little bit of that. And she, she's done it. She said she has the recipe. And I got thinking, you know, that's a lot like how Christians are whenever we find a relationship with Jesus. Everything in our world can be going wrong, but there's something that's in our mind that's a recipe. It's like, yeah, it doesn't really make sense that we could have joy in the midst of sorrow. It doesn't really make sense that we can have a smile on our face when everything's not going right. But I got a recipe, something that's greater than my circumstance. It's the joy of the Lord. And it's my strength. It's a recipe for joy. That's why I call this message simply a recipe 
for joy. And I pray, dedicate this message to someone. You don't feel like you have any joy in your life right now. You don't feel, you just, you just everything you could do to get here today. I want you to know God's going to reward you for getting out of bed today and coming here because he said the joy of the Lord is your strength. That he wants to give some fresh joy into your family, into your marriage, into your financial life. Like, like wherever it is in your life where you say, no, God could never touch that. God could never help me there. God says, no, I want to give you joy. You know that God wants to give you joy. Romans chapter 14, verse 17, Sarah, in your notes, this is, this is so astounding to me. The Apostle Paul says this. This is him writing again. He says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. Or in other words, it's not like, like Solomon was trying to do. It's not like tangible. It's not like in houses and lands and food and stuff like that. He said it's not in meat and drink, but he says, it's in, but it's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. I love that. See, I didn't always realize this. I thought the kingdom of God was righteousness. Like, that's it. Like, I thought it was just doing the right thing. Just coming to church, checking off the religious boxes. Like, I went there, like, awesome. You know, I did the right thing. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I did this. I didn't. It just, like, Christianity was just a checkbox of what you didn't do. You had to walk right. You had to spit right, or you'll go to hell, right? That's a two-syllable word where I come from. You'll go to hell if you don't do those right things because it's all about righteousness, right? But no, Paul says you got to understand this. Two-thirds of the kingdom of God is an emotional state. He says, it's righteousness, absolutely. You better live, do right. Why? Because God is holy and because God gave his only begotten son so that we can have life. Why wouldn't you want to give your life whatever he says to do? It's like, yes, I'll do that. Why? Because you've been so good to me. Like, I'll give my life to you. But he said, it doesn't stop there. It's also peace that passes understanding. I'm so thankful for the peace of God. He said, it's not just peace, it's joy. See, some people are saved and mad about it, aren't they, you know? God says, no, I want you to have joy. Isaiah says, with joy, you will take of the waters of salvation. That's what God, God wants to give someone a new smile on their face, a joy that people, when you go to work tomorrow, they'll be like, what happened to you? Like, just joy. You know, it's something that was so far beyond my circumstance. So what's the recipe? I want to conclude with this. It's the, I don't want to just fire you up. I want to hopefully give you some application what we can do to really want to look at Paul's life and say, okay, what are some recipes? I want to give you a little bit of grandma's recipe, if you will, with me. I want to tell you what the recipe is for joy today. Here's the first aspect of a recipe. It's more contentment, less comparison. More contentment, less comparison. What I've learned is the enemy of joy is comparison. You'll either compare yourself with someone, you'll either feel like you're better than that person and you'll get prideful or you'll feel like you're doing worse than that person and feel like you deserve better and that leads to pride as well. That the enemy of joy is comparison. And we live in a social media culture, don't we, you know? Used to, we only compared ourselves with like our neighbor down the road or, you know, the person that was, you know, at the cubicle next to us at the office. But, now we can kind of like instantly compare ourselves with thousands of people, you know, that, that we've connected with over the years. Like we can compare ourselves with people we went to high school with 25 years ago, right? It's just constant comparison. And every time we compare ourselves, the Bible says, and Paul writes again, he says, um, not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves. He says, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves to one another, they're not wise and without understanding. 
Paul's saying, hey guys, every time you compare yourself, you're losing the joy of the Lord that he wants to give you. Like the other day, I was eating our Thanksgiving, uh, I was eating some Thanksgiving uh, uh, dinner and I got my phone out, you know, just by habit, you know, pulled out social media and I'm sitting there, you know, I'm enjoying this great meal and I look and it's like somebody posts a picture, it looks like I don't know where they, like they were eating like the Queen of England, it was like this incredible table setting and like all these spices and like little figs coming out, you know, this perfect little turkey, like, and I was like, man, this dinner's terrible that I'm eating right now, you know, like, then that's a perfect thing. You know, it's like, what is that? That totally robs us of the joy of the Lord. Instead of me looking at my family that was around the table and looking at what God had blessed us with and saying, thank you, Jesus, for your blessing, I'm sitting here comparing myself with somebody I don't even know. And it's robbing me of the joy of the Lord. I want to challenge you today. Focus on what you do have instead of focusing on what you don't have. Focus on the little things that God's blessed you with. Promise it'll, be, it'll change your life. Like before you get in your car to head to lunch today, before you open that door to that car, say, Jesus, thank you for this car that you gave me. You say, well, it's not the car I want. You know, it's got that crazy tire, you know, and it gets out of alignment, you know, and they, I just want to drive it off a cliff sometimes. Yeah, amen, we've all been there, right? But if you'll thank God, like don't worry, don't, don't think about what you don't have. Thank God for what you, God, thank you for this car that you have provided for me. Before you get into your house, whenever you go home or your apartment or wherever you live, before you open that door, say, Jesus, thank you for this house that you've given to me. Thank you for this apartment that you've given to me. Thank you for this place to live that you've put over our heads. God, thank you for what you've done in my life. God, thank you for these clothes that I have on my back. God, thank you for my children. Thank you for my health. Thank you for everything that you've blessed me with. Don't don't compare yourself with everyone else around you, but be thankful to God for what he's done in your life. Because if, you if you have food in your refrigerator right now, clothes on your back, a roof on your, over your head, a place to sleep, you're richer than 75% of the world. If you have money in the bank, money in your wallet, or spare change in a dish somewhere, you're among the top 8% in the world's wealthy. If you woke up this morning with more health than sickness, you are more blessed than the million people who will not survive this week. If you've ever experienced the danger of battle, if you've never experienced the danger of battle, the loneliness of imprisonment, the agony of torture, the pain of starvation, you are ahead of 50 million people in the world today. If you attend church without fear of harassment, arrest, torture, or death, you are more blessed than 3 billion people in the world today. Church, we have a lot to be thankful for. We have a lot to thank God for. And the more we compare ourselves, the less joy we're going to have in our life. Here's the second aspect to the recipe for joy. More today and less tomorrow. More today and less tomorrow. John Maxwell says, a great author that I love, he says, we tend to overestimate tomorrow and yesterday and undervalue today. All of our focus and attention goes on tomorrow. We'll be happy tomorrow. We're going to get to work tomorrow. We're going to get that house tomorrow. We're going to go to school tomorrow. We're going to do all these things tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. That's why the psalmist wrote, teach us to number our days 
so that we can apply our hearts to wisdom. In other words, God, teach us to value what today is. I want to encourage someone and let you know that today is the best day of your life. Like today is the best moment of your life. Today is a day where you can make a memory. Make a memory today. Instead of dreaming about where you're going to be tomorrow, take the people and all the blessings that God has put in your life, gather them up and hold them as tight as you can, and make a memory with the people you love today because this is all we have promised. It's today. And as long as we live in tomorrow, we'll never have the joy of just being present in the moment today. I have so much trouble with this. I have so much trouble with this because I, am, I can live distracted. I, my mind can get so full of where we're going tomorrow and next month and all kinds of stuff and church. and pe- Just all kinds of stuff can weigh on my mind. And I'm sitting there and to the point where the other day I, I, I took my four-year-old Hudson. It's been probably a month ago now. I took him to Brewster's to get some ice cream to reward him. And he said, Daddy, he said, could you please get off your phone? You're always on your phone. And I was just, oh, my goodness. Just just not focusing on today. Focusing on today. I saw a survey that was taken in England of kids. They, they, they interviewed kids and said, hey, what do you want for Christmas? And number 10 on the survey list, kids said that they wanted a dad. You see, it's not how expensive it is. It's not how the trip you take. It doesn't take thousands of dollars. Just make a memory today. Appreciate what God has given you today. Enjoy the journey today. Don't wish to be more. Don't wish to be less. If you don't have your driver's license yet, don't wish to have it. I promise those of us to have it, we would love for you to drive us around. Like, appreciate where you are today and allow God to bless you and use you. Just use it today. Number three, more worship, less worry. More worship, Less worry. Paul, again, he said, don't worry about anything. I, that's why I don't like Paul. You know, he just gives us some hard stuff. To, don't worry about anything. That's easy for you to say. Don't worry about anything. He says, instead, do what? Pray about everything. That's the antidote. Tell God what you need and thank him for what he's done. That's what worship is. He says, don't worry. He said, but instead, he doesn't just say, don't worry. But he gives us an instead. He said, don't worry. Instead, pray about everything. Like whatever you're worried about right now, like whatever situation is on the horizon in your life or maybe you're in right now, maybe it's a career situation, maybe you're going through a job transition or there's something going on in your family. Instead of every time that you feel the urge to think, to worry about it, I just want to challenge you. Instead of worrying about it, I want you to say, God, I give this to you. Just do that. Say, God, I give this career situation to you. And then thank him. God, thank you. You've always been faithful to me. And if you've been faithful in the past, I know you're going to be faithful today. And that's worship, right? And the more we worship and the less we worry, I promise the more joy is going to come in our life. Paul said, you can always worry. But if you'll say, every time you feel tempted to worry, say, okay, God, I give this health situation of my family member, I give it to you, and I thank you that you are the healer. And I thank you that you do all things well and that we never have to be afraid that we're in your hands. And that's worship. More worship, less worry. Number four, more purpose, less pain. This is a hard one because we all have pain in our life. We all have 
situations that we're going through right now, like everybody in this room has things that we're going through. And as a pastor, my like tendency is to try to fix all your problems. Like, man, if I could just sit down, like we 30 you know, minutes, you know, two hours, whatever, you know, we could go, you know, get some coffee and let's fix all your problems, you know. But the problem is I can't even fix my own problems, everybody, you know. And what I've learned as a pastor that my goal as a pastor is not to try to fix all your problems. Because you know what? As soon as you get one problem fixed, there's going to be another one. Because God gives us this little promise, pesky promise I don't like very much. He says our days are going to be few and they're going to be full of trouble. So God says it's just going to happen. There's going to be problems. He said, but here's the issue. If you want to have joy, you need to have a purpose that's bigger than your pain. Like, you need to have something in your life that says, man, this is what I was put on earth to do. I'm called to do this thing. And what you're going to find, your problems are not going to go away. No, they may even get worse. But you know what's going to happen? It doesn't matter because you're going to something that's bigger than your, than your pain in your life. That's why every first of the month we have this thing called Next Steps Lunch. We're having it next Sunday right after church. And uh, it's just a short way, we, we, a short time. We'll feed you lunch. And you'll get to meet a bunch of leaders. But here's the whole purpose of it. First of all, I want you to let, let you know that, uh, what the church is and let you know it's not a cult and it's not crazy and all the stuff that we are, you know. People walk in church like, is this place nuts? I mean, like, what's going on? We want to let you know what, the, you know what we believe and the history of the church and all those things. But more than that, we want to help you discover your unique purpose. Because here's, here's what I know. If you're not involved in doing something beyond yourself, you're a miserable person right now. I know that because I've been there. And I go there from time to time. But if you're not doing something that's beyond you, you're miserable because joy happens whenever you get a purpose that's beyond your pain, you know? It's so crazy. I see people come here as, just about as the sun's coming up. They're putting out, you know, heaters outside so that we can have, you know, they're bringing coffee and all these things. And they're people that I know are struggling with situations in their life just like we all are. But what has happened? They've got a smile on their face. We're having a blast. You know, we're high-fiving way too early in the morning. It's way too early in the morning to have so much fun. But we're having fun. Why? Because we got a purpose. Because we know God's going to do something great today and we get to be a small part of it. And we want to help you do that. I want to help you discover like what you're put on planet earth to do. And I don't, I don't, I don't like pass that out, but I'll, I'll help give you some tools where you can go to God and he can help you with that. We do that next week if you'd like to get involved. And then number five to conclude today. More of God and less of me. What joy in your life happens because you have more of God and less of me. Uh, John the Baptist, he wrote it like this. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. So in other words, if life's all about me, if the world's all about me and I'm a miserable person, like if most of my problems in life come because I think the world's all about me, like, if I'm driving down the road and the world's all about me, everyone who gets in my way, like, they're a jerk. They're in my way. Like, I got places to go. I got people to see. It's all about me, people, you know. I'm driving the perfect speed limit. You better get over. Like, I'm doing it right. It's all about me, you know. My marriage, you know, every, it's, it's all about me. You know, it's all of it's all my kids. You know, even my, it's about me. You know, church is all about, you know, everything's about me. And as long as I make it about me, I mean, there's no joy. I promise, no joy. But the moment I say, God, it's not about me. It's not even about other people. But God, it's about you. Like, I'm driving down the road today. I'm going to work today. I'm doing what I'm doing today. 
because I know you have a purpose in my life. So I know, God, you've given me a beautiful wife and two precious boys, not for me, not even for them. I'm not some great gift to them, but God, because of you. You've, I get a small part of loving two boys and showing them the love of the Father. God, it's all about you. John Piper, a pastor, uh, great respect for, he made this statement that forever just sticks in my mind. It's something I visit often. He said this, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. I love that. that. When we make our satisfaction not be in the next house or the next whatever, nothing's, I don't say this, Christianity's not anti-material or anti-experience or anti-knowledge. Absolutely not. I believe when you have Christ, it just takes everything to the next level. Like, nobody can party like a Holy Ghost party because a Holy Ghost party don't stop somebody. You know, whenever you have things and God blesses you with it, and there's nothing like having it and giving it away and the joy that, because it's not your source anymore. Money's not your source. God's your source. And even knowledge, you know, the more you can know and learn and wisdom, you understand, man, God, look how complex and beautiful you made this world. And Christianity doesn't mean turn your brain off and sell all your stuff and never have fun again. But it means those things can't be our source because they'll never satisfy. But if we'll let Jesus be our source, we'll say, God, less of me, like more of you. And he'll give us a satisfaction that we can never even dream of. In Jesus' name. When we all bow our heads, I want to pray for you today. Lord, I've just had a blast getting to speak to your people today. I love, love, love the amazing people that come to City Hills today. Man, you're doing such incredible things among us. Lord, help us to find the satisfaction that's only found in you. God, thank you that you give us your word that we have stories like Solomon's and Paul's. God, so we don't have to spend 30, 40, 50, 60 years of our life trying to get something that will never satisfy, but we can learn right now and say, no, I'm giving my life for you because you're the only thing that satisfies. I trust you. I give my life to you today.